The Tom Woods Show, episode 1369, bonus episode. Prepare to set fire to the index card of allowable opinion. Your daily dose of liberty education starts here. The Tom Woods Show. Hey everybody, Tom Woods here with a bonus episode for you. I do topics that are a little bit off the libertarian beaten path for these bonus episodes. This one is actually two episodes of Catholic Book Radio, the podcast Roger McCaffrey hosts. The first one of the two is us talking Catholic church politics, and I always find that fun and interesting. And people who have said they're not necessarily interested in the topic, they love hearing the banter between Roger and me. And it's totally different from my banter with anybody else. We recorded these episodes sitting in my uh, the back of my house, and it was just fun. But uh, it's two episodes, though. So the second episode is not expressly a Catholic episode. Roger was asking me, it was like a top five list, and I won't tell you top five what, because he didn't give me any notice either, and that made it really difficult to do. But they're fun conversations, and I thought you might enjoy listening to them. I will link at tomwoods.com to where you can find Roger's uh, podcast on SoundCloud. So that'll be tomwoods.com slash 1369. And just so you know, Roger McCaffrey is the uh, publisher of Roman Catholic Books, He was also the founding publisher of the Latin Mass magazine. He is a direct mail genius. I mean, he writes letters, the the sort of letters that in the old days when you would get mail, physical mail, and and physical mailings, by the way, still work. People are overlooking them at their own peril. They really work. He would get you to open that envelope. There'd be be something on that envelope that would make you open it. Then you'd read his letter and it would make you take your wallet out and send that money in. He's a genius when it comes to that. His family created, let's see, they founded the Conservative Book Club, but also Arlington House Publishers. His father, Neil McCaffrey, was involved uh, there. As you may know, if you know your libertarian history, Arlington House is the publisher that published Mises. They published his book, Bureaucracy. They published uh, Rothbard's Conceived in Liberty. They published great works that really did not have a publishing outlet at that time. So we really owe a great debt of gratitude to Arlington House Publishers and the McCaffrey family. So having said that, oh, and also Roger is the godfather of uh, Regina and Amy, two of my daughters. So what more is there to say? Great man, and uh, he's been on before. I'll link to the previous episodes on the show notes page if you find you just can't get enough McCaffrey. And here we go. Enjoy. From New York and Rome, Catholic Book Radio, with your host, Roger McCaffrey. Tom Woods. Roger McCaffrey. It's February 2019. And here we are with another one of our powerful, timeless podcasts. Wait till people get this. So what's going on? Before I get into the heavy Catholic material, what's going on with your business that uh, we keep reading about, if those of us who are on your e-lists keep reading about? Well, so far, so good this year. I'll say this. I'm getting, I think I'm getting little by little better at coming up with email subject lines and things of the sort. So in the wake of the Green New Deal rollout, where we were told about cow gas and we're going to get rid of air travel in your car. Right. I came my my subject line for a product I'm doing where I'm giving away a lot of bonuses. I'm calling it the Woods New Deal. 
<laughs> and the subject line is the Woods New Deal. If you like your cow, you can keep it. <laughs> I thought that was like that was a McCaffrey. McCaffrey would use that line. That's a brilliant one. So <laughs> I, I, but but um, are people going to know where to go? Where they just go to TomWoods.com? Are people for, to catch some of these fabulous? They should. Daily emails from you? They should. Uh, they they go to TomWoods.com. They'll see a button to press to hop on there. They can, And I've got just so many individual pages. Like I have my Bernie Sanders is Wrong book. So I actually bought the domain name BernieIsWrong.com. And that also puts them on there. So there are a lot of ways to get on there. Now, if, I, if you'll permit me, the Bernie Sanders is Wrong book could be updated to capture some of the other oh, yeah. celebrity idiots. I already own AOCisWrong.com. Okay. I own that. Okay, okay. That will be put to good use. Okay, so there's another book coming. Oh, there's there another is e-book book. Oh, coming. it's coming. And it may have some of the same material because these people are highly unoriginal. They sure are. I would say they read the same books, but it turns out they don't read. They don't. You know, but they're very articulate and Republicans, not to mention others, but uh, let's psychoanalyze Republicans for decades have felt on the defensive because these leftists are so glib. But it turns out and you'd think they they were they've been reading The Nation or something. Hell no, they're not reading anything. (laughs) And the stupidities that come from from, uh, you know, the, the Howard Deans and people who happens to be vicious on top of it. Right. You know, but it's like the he's a doctor, therefore he's got to know. Right. Yeah. Everything about everything. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And and he thinks he does know everything about everything. If you ever watch this creep in action, but go ahead. Well, it just seems to me that the more shallow they are, the more shrill they are. Yeah. You would think that there'd be a kind of self-consciousness that would make you keep your mouth shut, but no, it is not. So humility does not, is not part of the left's, um, it's not one of their strengths. No, no, it's not. <laughs> well, that's a we could segue right into our leftist pope. Um, I know we've hit this topic before, but he provides continuous a stream of fresh material. First of all, every airplane ride by itself, you could just do a book on the pope's airplane press conferences. They need to sedate him when he's on those airplanes, if they, you know. <laughs> you can't understand what he's talking about. But, but and, and yet you you know what he's getting at, and it ain't good. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah so yeah. the last airplane press conference, and there is less oxygen in those planes. I don't know if that's affecting his, I don't know, brain function, perhaps. But I do pretty you know, well on planes, so I'm not. I do. I, I produce. You know, my. I, you're right. But uh, the last press conference was between um, Panama City and, um, you know, Rome. And I think he declared, I think he came out against um, methane gas, but I'm not sure. Did you, do you have any recall as to the specific outrages of that press conference? I don't remember that particular okay. one, but it's yeah. like, it's like his job is to be as banal and uninteresting and predictable and irrelevant as possible. Yeah, but and yet this is relevant stuff. I mean, when he, because what he does now is he contrasts the deepest concerns in the hearts of people who are trying to be Christians with what he calls more important concerns. Right, right. So you'd think that the mass slaughter of innocents, which of course he's against, I mean, he's on record as being against abortion, but you'd think that would be kind of paramount. But no, it turns out that, you know, youth unemployment 
and personal loneliness are right up there, you know, right up there in the top five beside the slaughter of innocent human beings by the millions every year. So I don't, that I don't consider harmless. Well, I don't know? mean that it's harmless. I mean that how does he answer the question, what does the world need the Catholic Church for? Right. And I don't, if, if it's to tell people about climate change, we already have people doing that. Right. So what do we need the church for? That's what I mean by irrelevant. Oh. I mean, he's doing plenty yeah. of damage, oh, but okay, good. he's got no unique position. What does he think the USP of the Catholic Church is? Right. I honestly don't know. Right. He doesn't talk about the sacraments. And it's the sacraments, the sacramental life of the church in our own that either dispose us to heaven or don't, you know? Uh, of course, that incorporates prayer. He does occasionally talk about you know, the importance of prayer, but I don't hear a lot of sacramental theology or sacraments talk at all from the Holy See, at least from him extemporaneously. And that includes the Wednesday audiences. So, I mean, so that's more to your point. All right, all right we, we've done enough on, on Pope Francis. Let's move on. Yeah, I can, yeah, <laughs> we, we can refer people to our previous conversations. Right. <laughs> but you know, on your, on your, you, you occasionally touch on, and I've been on a couple of times on your own Tom Woods show, you occasionally touch on matters Catholic, but it's getting harder to do that, isn't it? I just find it so demoralizing. I, I just, I used to write about a lot of this stuff and then I just found that it was, it was putting me in a really, uh, very depressing spot. And I just felt like, uh, given that, I mean, when I write articles about secular topics, I mean, there's a, you know, one in a million chance that I might be able to move the needle slightly. Like, for instance, on nullification, mm -hmm. I don't think I'm being unreasonable to suggest that my book and my work on that subject has actually had real world consequences. There are a lot of states that have stood up on certain laws and said, we're not going to do X and Y. And I think that had a little bit to do with me. Whereas if I say, the bishops are terrible. There's not a thing that that doesn't do anything, other than put me in a in a really depressed position. So I basically just stopped doing it, right? Because I thought other people are already saying that stuff, and it doesn't help me, and it, it doesn't. There's no prospect for anything to change, right? Right. Well, so, but what I did do though was I wrote that book with through your company, Sacred Then and Sacred Now. Right. That's still a Roman Catholic Books publishing title. That's my Catholic company. Yeah. It's still available. And, and, and I did and, that yeah. because there's something that I could do that nobody else was going to do, which was to write a short, accessible layman's guide to the old Latin mass at a time when it was being made more widely available. By Pope Benedict the Sixteenth, and, and, I, and I thought, I have some knowledge here and I can do this and it will do some people some good. That actually will have an actual effect on actual people. So, and, and it makes me feel good to do it. Right. So I did it. Right. And the important thing about that book is it's positive. And uh, Pache, some of my flame-throwing colleagues, you, you need to have a positive book you can present right. to clergy who are interested but not interested in polemics. And so this book lays out very briefly and intelligently the history of the revival of the traditional Latin mass in the last 40 years, basically. It's not meant to be a doctoral dissertation. It just explains to people how Benedict did what he did, why, you know, the top easy to understand arguments for it. 
and it's a it's an excellent book. We still we still sell it. Oh, thanks. I, for, by the way, booksforcatholics.com is the website that people can find that on. Do not get it from Tom Woods. Only he benefits in that case. <laughs> well, I will point out on that that it's pretty rare to find the non-polemical Woods. So this is like a collector's item for that reason alone. <laughs> oh, but it's a great book, really. Really, I mean, you're gonna you're gonna look back. In 20 years, and and uh, and then I'm going to charge you $100 per book when you want extra copies. <laughs> no, I'm getting such a steal on it now. It's it's a it's a great it's a great piece. Of, it's a piece of work that's going to last honestly a hundred years from now. That thing is going to be of interest, and if we can find foreign language publishers, you and you and I should start looking for that. It has more relevance. Benedict is even still alive. I actually, you know, we haven't, we don't, we don't even have that translated into Spanish, do we? We we have no foreign deals on that book. Yeah, we? yeah, that's true. Well, and I've here. had I've had uh, probably fifteen foreign language translations of my book on Western civilization. Which brings me to my next point, which is that for our Catholic listeners, let's list your your three or four most relevant books, even if they're not directly Catholic in scope. I would say. How the Church, obviously, how the Church built built Western, Western civilization, yeah. published by Regnery. Yep. Secondly, uh, the Church and the Market. Yep, that one. Thirdly, uh, of course, Sacred Then and Sacred Now. The what's the subtitle? The Return of the the Old Latin Mass. Okay. Yeah. And fourthly, um, uh, the Politically Incorrect Guide to History. American History. Yeah. Yeah. To American History. Right? Am I fair? Those are yeah, the I mean, those are uh, those are the big, uh, most of the popular ones. I'll say that the How the Catholic Church Built Western Civilization book, when that came out in paperback, it included a foreword by, and now this just goes to show my age. I cannot remember. He was the he was considered like the second Ratzinger. He was the president of the Spanish Episcopal Conference. He was he he may have been Cardinal the head Cagnazares. of Cagnazares. Yeah. Thank goodness. I know. I know. I know. I hope man. he doesn't find out that I couldn't remember his name. Oh, I, I, now now that you mention that, now so he wrote a beautiful forward to that book in, in the Spanish edition. Spanish edition in the Spanish edition. Then we yeah. translated it into English for the paperback edition in the U.S. Who did the paperback of, in the U.S. So it was Regnery again. Regnery again. And Is that a print? Oh, no, no, no. That's still that thing print. still moves. Yeah. You no, know, because Cagnazares is a dark horse candidate for the papacy. I thought he was a, I wanted him to win this time for my own selfish right. reasons. Selfish <laughs> reasons. Yeah, because actually he's rather, uh, in terms of current politics, he's kind of hopelessly muddle headed, frankly. Uh, but he appreciates the historical nature of the church and, and, and also, real history. I mean, he's a man of real influence. Yeah, he I, was, especially. Yeah, now he's back. Yeah. Now he's primate of Spain. Yeah. I mean, at the time, uh, he was uh, in the hierarchy. He was in the Vatican to Castro yeah, when he yeah, wrote that right. endorsement. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. that's important. I had forgotten about his endorsement, but yeah, anyway, Woods has some uh, little heft around the right, world. Well, you know, I when actually, he wants to. <laughs> I mean, well, you know, and and if I can throw back, a, I, I I knew him because not because we're palsy, but because there was a book that he was involved in that I did. And I think he's got a blurb on, a, ah, okay. on, on this is for Roman Catholic books, publishers. So uh, it's a small world when two of us, you know, American traditionalist types are throwing names around like Ken <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Again, he could be, because he's older now, that makes him an increased possibility for a compromise pick for the papacy. 
We're talking now in February 2019. But see, he would be viewed as being a, a Benedict the Seventh, right? Which is a joke. I'm sorry to say, it's a, he's not even as tough as Benedict. He, I assure you, but um, he would at least be a guy who is who represents the old school, and that's why he would be elected. I guess, but my point would be: Would that in the newly reconstituted Francis College of Cardinals at the at the uh, actual um, conclave, would that not hurt him? Because he's not doesn't have a reputation as a progressive. Correct. It would help him. Um, but, you know, that's not to say he's, I, I, I mean, he's a dark horse. There's several like that, that um, they're going to be they're going to they're going to come in as centrists because, well, that's what they are. And if a centrist is opted for, then Canizares is going to be one. Of, he's one of the top four centrist candidates. How about that? All right. Well, then are there any candidates to the right of him who are yeah, plausible? Yes, who would they uh, be? Cardinal Ranjith. I'm interviewing you. But yeah. Ranjith is yeah. still Papabla? Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. As a, as a, as a, you know, he has a 10% chance in my book, in the McCaffrey book. But so does Canizares. Because if they go European, if the argument is we need a European, we need to retrace our steps, we need to capture the, the Ratzinger wing of the voting cardinals. These men, are, you know, Ranjith and Canizares, each has 20 to 25 votes going in. That's 25% of, the, of what they, well, that's a, a third of what they need to be elected. So that makes them probably, um, even if they're not likely. The more likelies are Schoenborn, uh, who's now a man of the, of the Catholic left, but has a reputation for orthodoxy because he wrote the new catechism 25 years ago. And Napier, who's an African. Oh, he's a disaster. He's just got, he's, he's all over the map. Um, and um, that makes him possible, believe it or not, because he, he appeals to different voting blocks. So those are at least the ones I see. I think I've interacted with him on Twitter. Have you? Any <laughs> so you too have been condemned by him. I think I was ignored by him, which is how I like to keep things. Right. Well, he'll catch, he'll notice you. I'll give you the right <laughs> words to get a reaction from him. <laughs> okay. I think I probably know what they are. <laughs> anyway. Um, okay. So I, I could start the program number two, or we could do a short program. Well, I want to do two with you today. Yeah. Um, I, did, I did want to note that we're sitting in your palace down here in Florida. It's one of your homes. <laughs> it's and, my only home. Let's and, not. <laughs> and just just as in the days of the pharaohs, there are cats everywhere. Uh, I know uh, one of them gave birth, and so we got to figure out how to get the other cat, the cats you know, taken care of. But we're able to sit, even in February, we're able uh, to sit outdoors well, I mean, and I love this. this. I love this. Something? Yeah, it's a little brisk, but then, then there's flowing water, which all the pharaohs always but had. But yesterday it was in the 80s. This is just, this today's just right. a fluke. I know. It's a bit of a, it's a bit, it's a bit, I don't know. Tomorrow is supposed to go back up. But anyway, so do we. People are dying to know what the weather was three weeks earlier when we recorded this. <laughs> <laughs> well, this will be out next week. So, oh, okay. All so, right. So a know, week ago, guys, it was a brisk day in central Florida. So we've get, I've given all the website info. Oh, and the new issue of the Traditionalist magazine is out. So that can be found. Good luck finding it on the web, my friends. Well, I, I'm having such <laughs> problems Jeffrey. with our. With <laughs> I got our, mine uh, hand delivered to me. Right. That's old good. school. But Not uh, even the post office. <laughs> <laughs> there is a PDF. It is available on the web. But you have to go to... Um, 
catholicmediaapostolate.com to find it or try booksforcatholics.com. But if you want a free copy, send your just email us and uh, leave us your snail mail address and we'll mail you a physical copy free. We'll take a donation, but we'll send you a free copy. So anyway, Tom, let's just hold everything for the I, the next program is going to be a list of, of various lists that I want to get from you. And I will say no more, but your uh, your list programs are some good ones. So I've got an invention of my own. But tell me this, is this program, even though I'm interviewing you, do we even stand a chance at being a bonus episode? I think I would make this a bonus, just because it's, just, next it's just fun and casual and enjoyable. And I think people would get a kick out of our, our banter. Okay, Because well, our banter is unlike my banter with anyone else. It's much more <laughs> subdued. Because right. when I'm in your presence, one thing I notice as a writer is that if I read somebody over and over and over, like a lot, and then I go write, I start echoing that person's writing style. I just can't help it. So I was reading a lot of George Reisman at one point, and all my writing sounded like George Reisman. So likewise, when you come in and, you know, you're very soft-spoken and reserved, like you'll you'll be sh- shooting darts rhetorically at people, <laughs> but it's all very subdued. I get in this kind of subdued right. kind of mood, like I'm, like I'm the DJ of a jazz radio <laughs> station. I just can't help it. <laughs> Well then we should then we should reminisce for two more minutes uh, right now about our trip to Rome about 20 Oh, could that yeah, it was more than 20 years ago. 24 I, years yeah. ago, 23 years ago we had to tape a program. You taped a bunch. We yeah. did some good work, but there we were in the courtyard of the Hotel Sant'Anna, which is still there. I still use that hotel. People should go there, Hotel Sant'Anna. And and they should tell them that I said to come and stay there. It's a great little boutique hotel right at the Vatican. So we were in the courtyard and um it and was we great. were doing we were sailing along doing programs and interviews. You were. But then in the middle of one of them, the one of the maids flushed it, she's cleaning <laughs> I remember that. She flushed the toilet, the toilet <laughs> man. And we couldn't erase that from the program. We had to keep it authentic. To, it totally I, I thought it was authentic. That's who right. were you interviewing? Was I interviewed. Uh, well, I don't Martin know. Was Sosman during that? I don't remember which one it was. We we interviewed Wilton Wynn. Who oh, was a- Wilton Wynn. He died in 2010, unfortunately. I got to go back and get that tape. I, I forgot that we interviewed Wilton Wynn. Now he was a longtime Vatican observer. What what publication uh, he was, was he with? He was the. Time Magazine. He was the dean of the Time Magazine Rome uh, European Correspondence. And he went from Cairo um, to um, Beirut and then to Rome in 1963 and never left. So for 20 years, 25 years, he was the Rome bureau chief for Time Magazine. Did he have stories? Some of which he withheld from you. Yeah, <laughs> right, right, right. And uh, I think back on that, by the way, I was such a stilt. I know you were very kind to me in in how you assessed my abilities, but I was such a stilted interviewer compared to how I am now. I'm, in fact, none of my listeners even know I did those programs because I look back on them and I think, oh, I was just so clunky. I don't want anybody to know. Okay. Well, that was the era of stilt. <laughs> so stilt was still in in the 90s. I mean, only Reagan had just finished his presidency, you know, eight years before. And he was a wonderfully, he was smooth, but he was wonderfully formal. If you go back and look at him, study him now compared to these other presidents. 
who shall remain nameless. Yeah. <laughs> Some of them. Um, and, you know, there was – anyway. So, anyway, Wilton Wynn, yeah, those would be very interesting interviews. I'm going to go try to – I'm actually going to try to revive those now that you mention it. Who else did you interview when – on that where where Catholics meet program, yeah, I'm called. sure. Mons- I mean, obviously, Monsignor Wilton Barrero, Sosman, the late the late Monsignor Barrero, Monsignor Barrero, talk about stilted. <laughs> he, I can't believe he was you very would say formal. That. He's very formal, <laughs> wonderfully informal, privately, but never even privately did he let go of his priestly dignity. You know. Anyway, um, the other one you would have interviewed would be Professor Robert Phillips. I would guess. I'm sure I interviewed Robert Phillips, formerly of. Yeah. Uh, um, philosophy professor at the University of Connecticut. Wonderful. Uh, he's an author for us, Roman Catholic books, and uh, still around, still going strong, but retired, very retired. He goes around doing Amtrak, cross-country Amtrak rides and lobbying for the continued federal funding of Amtrak. Bob and I don't always agree. <laughs> Everyone is entitled to one deviation. Right, and that's Bob's deviation. He's pro-Amtrak. I remember you and I were at some church somewhere. We must have been out of town. We were going to what was at that time the so-called indult mass. And they had one of those baptismal fonts where the water is constantly flowing. Kind of like like, pool electricity. Yeah, just like the pool here. And I remember saying, you know, I have to admit I actually like these. And you paused and said, everybody is entitled to one deviation. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a, well, that cap still captures my view. Um, anyway, thanks, Tom. We'll, we'll go to we'll go. The next program is going to be even even more electric than this one. And if this one doesn't show up as a bonus episode, you know it was a little Which, bit too electric for the Tom Wood Show audience. <laughs> thanks. All right, folks. That was the first of the episodes. Here's the second one. From New York and Rome, Catholic Book Radio. With your host, Roger McCaffrey. Tom Woods, we're here for part two. Here Uh, we go, and I'm having a glass of wine, which I so rarely do. Me too, but it's conducive to this program. I haven't told you the topic yet. Oh, here we go. it's, It's a good topic. It's a great topic. And I've got a lot like this. So you and I are going to be booked for the next five to ten years. Okay, radio, good. You know, good. for podcasts. So let me hit you with my first. I need your list of which I did. They used to do this to my father. Similarly, I'd say, you know, well, who are the most? Who are the three most interesting people you've ever known? And they don't have to be Catholics, although we're we're doing this for Catholic Book Radio. It'd be nice if you could throw in a Catholic for me instead of one of your radical friends. <laughs> <laughs> um. Are we able to? Am I able to pause? And can you can you remove? Yeah, we can a, remove a stuff, but we won't. You know, but I want to think this over because I'm. Uh, if I well, come up with somebody five, who's, give me five and <laughs> no, so three. No, that's the problem. It's not that right. it's too few. <laughs> it's hard to think of somebody that quickly. That uh, it's been who comes. You mean who's number one? Because I know five guys you know who are who are very interesting. Well, they yeah, have to okay. be alive. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm since I'm asking you the questions. Would you like me to make them living living human beings? Let's try to make them living. Yeah. Okay, that's so, probably more fun because we yeah, that way we can get at least five listeners. Right. right. Well, each one of them. Us, I would say Pat Buchanan is on there. Right. Okay. Ditto here, but I'm, it's not my list. It's your list. Yeah. 
So that's and you got to talk about each one of them a little bit after you list them. Yeah. All right. So we got Pat. Um, and the thing is, I know that throughout my life, I've walked around after talking to somebody because I've met such tremendous people, and I've remember, I've walked away and said that is an impressive person. But there's just so many. <laughs> there's so many great ones that I've I've met. I mean, if you, even if I just thought of the academics that I've met. I would say Clyde Wilson, Paul Gottfried. I'd say Lou Rockwell's a very, very serious, so impressive you just person. listed Protestant, Catholic, Jew. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> not but in that order. But yeah. No, but, but the, yeah. yeah, I mean, Gottfried, very interesting man, uh, yeah. prolific writer, even before uh, computers arrived on the scene. Uh, uh, oh, by the way, the background is one of your damn neighbors, if I can... Yeah, <laughs> using a jack. Well, this this figures that I would come all this way to be in your house, to be in your courtyard, and then the guy behind you decides he's going to fix his asphalt. Well, remember we talked in the last episode about the person who flushed a toilet during our interview in Rome. Oh, the hotel. So Santana. it could be worse. It could be worse, but this is pretty bad. If this goes on for long, I mean. Yeah, I mean, we I might did have meet- to cut him out. We might have to edit the program. <laughs> I did meet Eric von Kunel Ledeen. But I, I wouldn't say I knew him. Right. Whereas uh, I can drop Buchanan a note and he'll write back to me. So right. that's that's my that that's what it means to know somebody. I right, think. Right. Well, Ladine would would have written back to you, and you would have you would have received an essay. I, I know. I know. Uh, it's funny that Carl Keating, whom I had on a couple of weeks ago, um, mentioned von Cunot Ladine as one of his most admired, and he had long exchanges with him, and visited him in. Uh, Tyrol or Tyrol. Anyway, go ahead. Um, I mean, I, so you've just listed five already. Yeah, probably so. I mean, but, I, 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 there, there just there's so many people I've I've gotten to know a little bit or I've met or whatever. Um, I mean, I've been able to travel so much and go to so many conferences and stuff. But in, and now, in terms of people who have influenced me, I would also say Don Livingston for uh, emeritus at Emory University. Um, what's he an economist? No, he was a, he's a philosopher, but who did, who got me understanding really the, the, the real value of decentralization because Mm he, he's the one who really painted the medieval picture for me of what European society looked like without a single irresistible, infallible sovereign authority ruling over it. Right. And the symbiotic relation of all the different associations in society and how that worked and how it's it's a devolution to have a Hobbesian sovereign with plenary power to overrule all the liberties of all these associations. And, and I, I got that only because of Livingston. Mm-hmm. In other words, you, you're referring to presidents and leaders of states today. Yeah, who Macron, they, they may be, they, they may in theory say that it's perfectly fine for such and such association to have such and such freedom, but that's at their generous you know, indulgence. They can, right. they can they modify can that anytime like they bug. want to. Right. Yeah. As Wilton Wynn said to me in the middle of his hymn to the beauty and wondrousness of Rome and of Italy and how he would die. In fact, he said he would, he's in, and from Louisiana, but he said, if I had to move back to America, it would kill me. We were sitting down having lunch in the middle of Rome, but you know, within three minutes he was saying to me about his apartment and in which he had a great apartment, I might add. Uh, in Parioli near the embassy. and um, But he had an idyllic life. He had Italian health care for better or worse, et cetera. But he said, you know, they, meaning the government, 
they could throw me out anytime they want. <laughs> yeah, there you so go. So we have this weird, we all have this weird relationship with our government. We know they could squish us anytime they want, like they tried to do to Roger Stone, whether, whether no matter what your opinion is of him, to send 17 armed, armed vehicles or 17 men, including frogmen, and then drag him out of his Florida house, much like this house, I might add, in his bare feet and his poor wife, forcing her out of, the, out of her bedroom. She wasn't charged with anything at all. I don't know if you're aware of they did that to her. The FBI dragged her out politely. It was good of them to be polite, you know. But they forced these people out of their houses and put them in handcuffs. And and these are the people. And then then five minutes from now, we'll be talking about the greatness of it's great to be live in a free country. Well, we know that isn't the case. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm still I can't get my mind off this darn question of yours. I mean, I remember being very impressed by. Bishop Fillet years ago. Mm-hmm. I mean, Bishop Fillet of the Society of St. Pius X. I remember meeting him, and it was just three people in the room. It was him and a priest and me, and we just had a conversation. So where were you, up in Connecticut? Or I don't remember exactly where it was, but— Was it east or midwest or where? must have been east, but I remember he was very, very much uh, divided. I mean, he, he wanted uh, an agreement with Rome. He wasn't right. uh, just belligerently refusing. Was this 10 years ago? Twenty. Uh, the, the, this would have been like 2001, 2002, okay. 2003. That's a long, I mean, that's like 18 yeah. years ago. Yeah. But he was a really serious man. Right. And I think he had real Catholic uh, instinct. Yeah, definitely. And he had a real, people overuse gravitas, but right. you knew you were in the presence of something and somebody when you were with him. Right. And I, I didn't necessarily agree with the whole Pius X ecclesiology, all that stuff, but I, I walked out of there thinking this is a good man who's going right. to try to make the best decision he can. Which is what he did. Yeah. I mean, he was superior general uh, until recently, actually. And as superior general, he, ne- he negotiated, he navigated to a point where they could talk to Pope Benedict, the new Pope Benedict, yeah. and got him to lift the excommunications of the four bishops, himself included, and got him to norm- normalize the mass in canon law, regularize the traditional mass. So now it's a legitimate and perfectly equal, co-equal option for priests in canon law, which priests now will still be punished if they yeah. show too much love for this right, but it's in canon law now. And that's all part of Fillet's uh, effort. Now, they, uh, you know, they, it's not that everybody in the society is made equal. I mean, there are some people I'm sure would make me crazy, but I did also meet, and I'm not saying he's the most impressive person because you did ask me, you know, interesting people, but as long as we're on Fillet, I had a private meeting for about an hour with Bishop Williamson years ago mm-hmm. because he came, I was living on Long Island, he was coming through Long Island. And he called ahead to the local society parish, and he said, I want to meet with Woods. Mm-hmm. So we met for an hour behind closed doors and just right. talked. And I remember asking him, suppose Rome came to you and said, all right, you can have everything you want. We're going to regularize all your mass locations and schools and your masses and everything. We accept it. It's fine. You're in perfectly good standing. Everything, you can continue as you have been, except with our blessing. Would you accept that? And he said no to that. (laughs) And I remember being struck that you would say no when you're not being asked to do anything. Right, right, right. 
I'm with you all the way, Tom. I mean, that that is its own comment. <laughs> yeah, that you know, was that. I mean, that in is fact, the I have to say, Roger, that made me look back at Archbishop Lefebvre, and and it actually dropped him a notch in my estimation. But he didn't. But Lefebvre did not stand for that. He did ordain Williamson a mistake. But he was pressured to do that at the end okay. in nineteen in nineteen eighty eight. There was internal pressure, largely brought to bear, in my opinion, by Williamson himself, then Father Williamson. In any event, he did not represent the SSPX okay. and has been expelled from the SSPX. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Years ago, right? Um, and um, you know, that's like saying, well, that's like exactly like saying, well, if, suppose I brought you a billion dollar lottery check, you know, would you, this is not a tough question. And if to say no to that is to, is to render yourself suspect on many levels. Indeed. So, I mean, next person. <laughs> Who else did you admire, Tom? Well, I mean, I, I remember thinking for a long time that if I could write as well and as bitingly as Tom Fleming, who was with the Rockford Institute for a long time, I would be a happy man. And um, for a long time, Fleming and I were friendly, and I thought, I'm going to be the one friend of his he's not going to turn on and denounce. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't work out, uh, Roger, but, but man, what a, I think he's a really smart guy. I think he's a, he's yep. a great – I would not want to be on the other side of his pen. I no. have been. Yeah, I know. I noticed. <laughs> so it's I noticed. not fun. I noticed. We could do a whole program on that. Yeah. But um, he too is a Catholic and a convert, yeah. by the way. Well, it's funny. The, the people you've mentioned um, – there's no other connection uh, among them, but you know Williamson was a convert. I know you're he's a, he's not someone who influenced you, but you found him impressive as a spokesman. But yeah, in terms of people who influenced me, who are living, I mean, it would certainly be um, Rockwell. Almost goes without saying. Rockwell goes without saying. Uh, all those people I mentioned, all those academics like Clyde Wilson, Paul Gottfried, all these are all in a rogues gallery. You're not supposed to right. like any of these You're not people. Supposed but, to like but, them. but the people who say I'm not supposed to like them have you know, 50 fewer IQ points than these people. Yes, so I don't really care what they say. Right. Um, Buchanan certainly influenced me. Livingston influenced me. I've been lucky that I've gotten to meet really, really impressive people. I would also mention a guy, maybe you met him at uh, the Randolph Club. Bill Kaufman. Does that name ring a bell to you? Sure. Um, sure. I, I know Bill. I love I Bill because he's a Catholic well, well, too. He's more of a, probably like in the Dorothy Day tradition. Yeah. But yeah, I don't always agree with him, but I he's very skillful either, as a writer. I he's, he's, a, he's an amazing writer and a very good hearted man. Mm -hmm. And he he's the kind of guy who he lives where he grew up uh, yeah. and that, that matters to him. And uh, I remember that's the thing some is, of his best writing yeah, is about, I know. Is about and, and, home. And that, it's about home. about home. And Thing is, I've moved all over the place, and I remember when I was a not a kid, but like a high school student. The fashionable thing among the high school students in North Andover, Massachusetts, was to kind of feel like, well, <laughs> we're going to get out of this uh, sleepy town the first chance we get. Right. You know, we're going to go see the world. And if you wound up staying in town and you went to college in town, well, we wouldn't say you were a loser, but that was the strong implication. And now I look back on it and I thought. Those are the people who got it right because mm -hmm. I've lived all over the place and I've gone all over the place. But my yeah. little town where I grew up, I, I never found anything better. Yeah, I found in, in my case something that was cheaper. 
That's <laughs> yeah, yeah, fair but, enough. But but re- <laughs> I redolent. couldn't afford to live in my old town. Yeah. That was a problem, right? But redolent of my town and far enough away from the problems that crept from New York City itself over the border into my town. But I agree. And Kaufman, some of his best writing, his best writing is about that. Yeah, flat out. And and he's got a collection. Of course, I forget the title of his book. Um, oh, ain't my is it? Ain't, ain't my, my America, America is ain't such America. a great book. Uh, uh, that's his collection, isn't it? Of, of, well, it's it's a that's a that's collection. like the the history of non-interventionism among oh. middle Americans. Okay, so it's not the collection, but it's still you know it's a book worth having. Yeah, oh, it's a book worth having. Uh, the, the weird thing about it is it doesn't mention Ron Paul. How do you have a book on non-intervention and there's no Ron Paul? I don't know. Right? It's a book, a book on Batman. There's no Joker. Well, what's the deal? I agree, but. But probably because it's a, an essay collection. And, yeah, right. And and it, exactly. So, uh, and, and, and he reality, loves Ron. Yeah. You know, I mean, he spoke at Ron's big rally for the Republic. Is Paul not even mentioned in the in I the believe there is no mention of him. Okay. In, well, it's then so he has strange. to do a new edition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'll have oh, to scold so, him about that. Okay. So Ron Paul's another one who's had and, a major- and by, the way, by the way, by the way, do you realize all these people, uh, just about, they're all people that I met as a result of the fact that Lou Rockwell right. did the extremely unfashionable thing of reaching out to traditionalist conservatives in the early 1990s to say, now that the Soviet Union has collapsed and we might be able to agree on foreign policy now, let's put our heads together and see what we can all do together. He has been hence, raked over the coals hence, for this. Hence the John Randolph Club. The John Randolph Club, which was a wonderful- founder of that thing. Yeah, and I was the youngest member. I was made officially a member, I think, in 1994. I was 22. And I loved that group. And I met so many really smart people. And basically, a bunch of intellectual pygmies ever since then have said, oh, that's terrible. Oh, he wanted to reach out to the right wing. Notice it's never wrong to reach out to the left wing. Never. That's never wrong. Which is never interested in you. Yeah, right. I know exactly. You reach out, they bite your hand off. But, But actually, more than that, they're so uninterested. They'll leave your hand sitting there for 10 years. <laughs> they don't even bother. It's not even worth biting off <laughs> as far as they're concerned. But I got to meet these people who are right. tremendous intellects because of that move by right. Lou. Lou. So Lou. when people say, oh, well, I don't like the the Lou Rockwell, you know, the Murray Rothbard of the early 90s. Well, but why not? Like that was well, really great, great stuff. We got to meet really tremendous people. Right. Well, R- R- Rothbard, of course, Jewish and secular and um, – Above all, um, libertarian. I mean, that, that's yeah. really the mark. But it's also a historian that you had to take very seriously. You had to. But to dismiss him, you know, I didn't want to get into the Roth- Rothbard thing because it brings out the venom in people. But because he was pro-abortion on, on my opinion, spurious and oh, ridiculous Oh, yeah, it, it grounds, was awful. But, His arguments were terrible. And Father uh, Sadowski really yeah, leveled him. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, I, I mean, but— you know, Murray. If if ever somebody were in um, were in um, the the realm of the academic on such things, it was Murray Rothbard. Anyway, and, and incidentally, to toward a- the end of his life, you could see. I believe he was shifting on that because too, he and, was talking about uh, reasonable restrictions and things and, like that. So he's moving right. in that direction. But nobody, uh, nobody on the Catholic right wants to hear these things that ameliorate uh, or mitigate some of his earlier views. They don't even want to hear. These points brought up, but he was actually pro. Uh, he, he he was he was pro Lefebvre. Yeah, I know, I know. He <laughs> I was sound from, on almost everything. Well, I can send you a letter he wrote to my father from Vegas, of all places, 
about in which he digresses. His letters were massive exercises in digression and you know, and you know, because he knew so much, you know, know, he wanted to pull everything in that he knew. He'd start out about the John Randolph Club, and all of a sudden, he was talking about Lefebvre. And, and uh, by, by the way, well, I, I was going to, I was about to say, I'm, I'm, I forgot myself for a minute, Roger. I was thinking I was hosting my own show. I was going to say, not everybody listening is going to know who Lefebvre is. Oh, but yes. Listening to this show, they will. Well, but would you mind them. saying, would you yeah. mind just in case I do use this, would you mind saying a little something so that they know what, what the heck we're talking about? Then we'll uh, get back to Rothbard. Uh, Archbishop Lefebvre was a, was a major figure at the Second Vatican Council who opposed most of the thrust of the Second Vatican Council and uh, founded his own seminary roughly five years after the council in order to rescue, with Vatican approval, by the way, to rescue French and then later other European seminarians who were being crushed in in basically Catholic left-wing seminaries all throughout Europe. Vatican approved of it for about 10 years, then withdrew the approval he um, rejected their withdrawal and continued to ordain. Is it wrong priests. of me to, to? I'm sorry, I shouldn't have that reaction. Maybe, but I don't know. I, there's something at, at this, especially at this point in the age of Francis. It's a little hard to be upset at Archbishop. No, Lefebvre, no, exactly, people, right? Exactly. He was a French. Let's put it from the other side's point of view. He was a hopeless French reactionary, a hopeless conservative, theologically and politically. Um, who made good. They hate that. He was successful. Paul VI tried to suppress him. John Paul II excommunicated him. 25 years later, his excommunicated bishops are back within the embrace of the church, ordaining priests with the approval of the church and, um, and negotiating with the church to get the whole franchise. So, And Lefebvre is the founder of the traditionalist movement. Everything was focused with Lefebvre around the Mass. He used to say, all I want is the Mass. All I'm asking for is the Mass. That's the traditional Latin Mass. They wouldn't give it to him and threw him out for a time. And he said, you don't even have the right to throw me out because my right as a priest to say the traditional liturgy supersedes papal authority. Yeah. Basically, that's what Lefebvre said. And Pope Benedict XVI implicitly agreed with that without making it explicit. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he came very close in, in his letter. I mean, in, in both Samorum Pontificum and his letter to the bishops, where he, he basically said that the, he talked about the, the, the way the mass was changed, that this is not how the church operates. And then, and remember, you remember that quotation that we hung on to for years before Ratzinger became pope? You remember that one that we loved so much about where uh, he said that uh, he finds it impossible to understand that anybody could have a problem with the old mass yeah. and that and that to then actually treat people like they're crazy right. <laughs> just because they they want the very thing that the church told them was their holiest and highest right. possession. That, like that it's this now absolutely forbidden. forbidden. He said, yeah. this, he is said this, not- is, this is stupid. Well, what is this, a Kafka novel? Right. This is stupid. We don't right. act like this. Right. And that is the importance of Benedict XVI's papacy. Really, the importance of it is he reconciled without making it official he reconciled the position that Lefebvre took after the council to defend the traditional mass. 
Benedict reconciled that position. Not only did he reconcile it, he embraced it and put it into the heart of canon law. So, so it doesn't surprise me that Rothbard would have been pro Lefebvre because he was just pro common sense and he hated, he just hated, um, especially at that point, he really hated leftism. You know, I think right. he hated leftism right. in all its forms. Oh, and 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 Lefebvre was the, was purely anti-left. Yeah, and also Lefebvre now and again they would call him an anti-Semite, and anyone who was called an anti-Semite, Rothbard immediately became interested in. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, he knew Rothbard would never accept that at face value, Rothbard. You know, but he would he look into it. it. He would at least look into it. Yeah, he right. knew it was a slogan. Others he ignored, destroy people. but he knew that Lefebvre was no anti-Semite. Of course not. Um, but that has to be said. But anyhow, so that's Lefebvre. Whose show is this? Yours or mine? I, who even knows at this point? I've I've lost track. <laughs> so oh, so we're but anyway, lists. So so we didn't even get to my second list. Oh, what's the, what? Tell me what the second list. I don't is. want to because no, we what? Haven't finished the first list. All right, let's talk about more about the first list. <laughs> well, the first, which I feel like I did a, a really crummy job uh, well, compiling. Well, so, so we're going to go out to dinner in a few minutes, right? And I'm going to come up with well, a dozen. That's people. where we need to have the mic on. Yeah, I, I know, but we can't. People could only hear what we say at dinner. <laughs> well, that's gives. That's one of my ideas that I have to talk to you about at dinner about. That's a reality show. <laughs> okay. All right. <laughs> Anyway, thanks for your list of 50% Catholics who influenced you. <laughs> Glad to give it and to you. And 50% other. But um, we, can go, we can go deeper into that in another program. But time is up. We got to go to dinner. I'm starving. Plus, I had this glass of wine with no food in my stomach, so it's, it's not good. We're, we're, we've been liberated. Thanks, Tom. Thank you. All right, folks, that's going to do it. Now, next week, I've got coming up, I guess, well, if, if this is coming out on the week, yeah, next week, right. Michael Malice is going to come back and we're going to talk about what left and right mean. Do they really mean anything? And if so, what? I've had numerous requests for an episode on this and I've, I've done a couple episodes on this, but one with Michael Malice is going to be unforgettable. So make sure you subscribe at tomwoods.com slash iTunes and I'll see you then. Become a smarter libertarian in just 30 minutes a day. Visit TomWoods.com to subscribe to the show for free, and we'll see you next time.